This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for May 8, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. In this morning's Gospel lesson, we have the familiar story of the road to Emmaus. I'd like to suggest to you that it's not just an Easter Day story about what happened to two guys on the way to Emmaus, but it's really sort of the, um, the icon of, of the Easter life lived. It is really a story not just for Cleopas and his friend, but for all of us. It exhibits to us what it looks like when we live an Easter life. In brief, the story was, you know, you know is that Cleopas and this other fellow had been in Jerusalem, and they had, you know, the women had gone to the tomb, you know, all that stuff that they said in there, and, and Peter and James had run there, but hadn't actually seen Jesus. And so they were going home to Emmaus, which apparently is where they lived. And it says that as they were walking, in our translation, it says they were discussing with one another. Well, yeah, it is discussing, but it's also disputing with one another. Which you can imagine. I mean, if somebody came back and said, I just talked to a bunch of angels and they told me this dead guy's walking around and he's alive now, that that would be something worth discussing. Well, how could that be? I mean, how does that work? What does that mean? Now, for us, because we know the story so well, we didn't take that for granted, but they didn't. I mean, even their whole concept of resurrection was not one at a time. I mean, the resurrection was when all the people of Israel would be resurrected. And so they are having a theological dispute about what's going on. Then as they're walking, this guy comes walking and catches up with them. And that's not really all that uncommon because it's dangerous to travel by yourself on these roads. There are always bandits in between the towns. It says that they were going about seven miles. Um, so it was probably about a two-hour walk if you weren't rushing anyway. And he says, well, what's going on? What are you talking about? And they said, well... Because the, the road goes from Jerusalem to, to Emmaus, north. Well, are you the only one in Jerusalem that didn't hear what happened? I mean, everybody knows. He said, what happened with who? Well, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, you know, he's crucified. And, and, and then now it's the third day, and, and some women went there, and they saw these angels, and they said he was alive. And then a couple of our, the, you know, a couple of our, our fellows went over there, and, but they didn't see him. But the tomb is empty. And, and boy, this is really difficult. And he says... Oh, really? And it says that they stood still and looked very sad. Now, why do you think they stood still and looked very sad? Bad day? I mean, they really don't know what's happened, do they? I mean, all they know is the body's not there anymore. They've got some weird... Stories running around that he's alive. Of course, nobody's seen him. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and it says they're very sad. And they said, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. If you notice the past tense, we had hoped. Their hope was dashed. It didn't exist anymore. And it said that Jesus then, on the way, explains to them everything concerning himself that was in the scriptures. And when they get to Emmaus, he keeps on, they slow down because they're about home. 
And, and he starts, he's walking at the same pace. He's going to keep going. And I go, well, well, wait a minute, wait, wait. And he goes, huh? And they said, well, why don't you stay with us? Because it's getting dark. And, you know, it's not safe to travel at night, particularly by yourself. And, and so why don't you just stay at our place? And, and, you know, we can talk some more. So he says, okay, and he goes in. And, and it says that while they were at supper, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened. Does that remind you of anything? It's communion, isn't it? We take the bread, we bless it, we break it, we give it. It says their eyes were opened and they saw the risen Lord. That's one reason why we have communion every Sunday, by the way, is because on Easter Sunday... And in most resurrection appearances, although not all of them, but most of the resurrection appearances to the disciples, they occur in the breaking of bread. And so the church, one of the church's mantras from the very beginning has been, risen Lord be known to us in the breaking of the bread. For 2,000 years, Christians have come to the altar, and when they see the bread broken, the scales fall from their eyes, and they know they're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, all that happens, and then what I think is one of the worst practical jokes in all of Scripture gets pulled. They've been doing all this stuff, mine <clears throat> them over, you know, stay at night, have dinner. He breaks the bread. They finally, it's the Lord. And then, poof, he disappears. Can you imagine what that would be? <laughs> Where are you going? I mean, he's got here. Nothing. He's gone. And then they go back and they tell the others about what happened. In the outline of that story, we see the Easter life lived. We see what it means to be an Easter child. And if we would claim to be the resurrected children of God in Christ, then we need to realize that those dynamics are not just for Cleopas and his companion, but they're really for all of us. First of all, it says that they were going together. So they have a community of people, two at least in this case, and that they are disputing with one another about the things that had happened. Have you ever known Christians to dispute with one another about things that happened? Apparently it's still going on. I mean, things don't change, do they? We try to reason it out and figure it out, what makes sense to us and and. And we argue about it. And and in this case, it was a friendly argument. Sometimes the arguments haven't been so friendly in history. But the same thing is going on, that we become, um, we try to make it, have it make sense that Jesus is raised from the dead. And have it make sense in the world about how being born again in this resurrected life um, changes everything. What does that mean? So we rationalize it. and, And we argue about what does that mean and what does it take and you know, should you immerse with water or should you pour with water? And should you use real wine or should you use grape juice? And what color should the carpet be in the building? I mean, you know, you name it, theologically we'll debate it. It's amazing. And so that's not at all unusual um, that they were doing this. And it says that when Jesus caught up with them, he asked them, what are you talking about? It never occur to you that that may be Jesus' number one question to us? What are you talking about? When uh, our niece, who got married last year, I guess she's about 
when is their wedding anniversary today? Maybe next week. Pretty close. Hard to believe. When she was about three or so, um, Judy um, went down and uh, picked her up at, at her brother's house, and, and we're, I'm driving, and um, we're riding back, and she's in the back seat, and she says, yak, 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 yak. This went on for half an hour. Nonstop. On and on and on. And finally I said, Becca, what are you talking about? And she stopped and said, I don't know. She hadn't changed a whole lot either. That's what. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think that's the way the Lord interacts with us. He says, what are you talking about? And if we heard him, we'd go, hmm. Because <laughs> an awful lot of things that we get upset about or have disputes about really aren't very important. And then he said, well, what, what's going on? And when, when they told him, it said that, they said we had hoped. It said they stood still and they were very sad. Isn't that the story of the Christian life lived? You know, as long as we can argue the finer points of theology and as things are going well, we're pumped up and ready to go. But if something happens in our life that doesn't fit in, that doesn't meet our expectations, that is demoralizing or, or even um, discouraging, we get very sad, don't we? We forget all about the fact that he has died and rose again and has changed everything. We forget all about the fact that he is the sovereign king of the universe. And we start throwing a little pity party for ourselves. Lord, why did you let this happen to me? I mean, if you're like me, you're wondering, I mean, I, I think that there is a plot out there somewhere to make it rain when I have the time to cut the grass. And its sun comes out when I'm out of town. I don't know about you all, but I'm convinced somebody's up to that. Because we all know that the weather patterns revolve around Ron Baird's life, doesn't it? That's who we are, and that's what we do. And that's a little thing. You know, if you get really sick or a loved one dies or you're having problems with your kids or your spouse, it's even worse. You know, why wouldn't God fix it? We had hoped that if we were Christian, that our God would make all of this stuff go away. We had hoped. And we stand still looking very sad. And we miss out on the resurrected life. What happens then, though, is interesting. Jesus begins to reveal all the things concerning himself in the Scriptures. It's a good thing he had about another hour. And I bet he went through it pretty fast. Um, you know, he talks about Isaiah and the suffering servant and Ezekiel and the dry bones. I mean, all these things are going... You know, and they're going, no, no, I didn't. Well, that's interesting. And by the time they get to Emmaus, they're just really like, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, we want to hear more. And so they invite him to stay. And in inviting him to stay, a very interesting thing happened. The reason they're inviting him to stay is that Jesus is moving on. He's not stopping. He's going to head on ahead of them. Did it ever occur to you that an awful lot of times Jesus is probably moving on to head on ahead of you? And we see here the dynamic of why. All too often, we forget that we are called to serve the Lord, not for the Lord to serve us. And if you, that's what, and we forget because he doesn't mind doing it. I mean, he helps us all the time. 
And that's what he was doing with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But it really isn't going to be until they turn that around and say, wait a minute, let, let us help you out. And they bring him in and they prepare a meal and all, that they have a clue who he is. But one of the things that happened as they were explaining the scriptures to them, later they say, did not our hearts burn within us when he was explaining the scriptures to us? That's a resurrected life. When your hearts burn within you when you're reading the scriptures. You all have that experience all the time, don't you? I bet you if, if I said, you know, we're going to have a Bible study here at 3 o'clock, everybody would flock back. Good wait. Because your heart could be burning within you, right? It's okay to say no. I know better than this. <laughs> but you have to wonder, what, what was the difference? Why is it that when Jesus was explaining the Scriptures, was it so powerful to them? And what does it mean that your heart burns within you? Well, what I'd suggest to you is that what he was saying rang true. That's another way we put it. There was just something that was right about the way he was explaining the stuff and something that made a difference in their lives. And unfortunately, what we've done with Scripture is turned it into a class. We can call it Bible study, don't we? How many of you all, like, if I said, hey, we're all going to get together and study this afternoon, I mean, that'd be a great party, wouldn't it? I mean, it's like, I already did that. I don't think I want to study anymore. But that's what we turn Scripture into, is a, a book that we study, where we learn information and gain knowledge about things. But that isn't what it's really meant to be. It's really meant to be a vehicle, a venue, a sacramental presence where Christ makes himself known to us. One of the greatest problems in, in reading your Bible, which I know you all do daily. I'm sure each of you reads at least 100 pages of Scripture every day. Um, yes, I love the way you all just sit there very quietly, like, oh, go ahead. You all do know I don't believe that, don't you? Um, it is that that's not what you do anyway. That's not what it's for. It doesn't matter if you know who the six sons of Keturah was. It doesn't even matter if you know who Keturah was. You know, it's not like a, you get to have an entrance exam into heaven and you got to get at least a B on it before they let you in. Keturah is Abraham's second wife. So she had six sons. Father Abraham had seven sons. Y'all know something? The, um, which is interesting because I think they weren't counting Ishmael on that. But, <laughs> um, the only reason why I know that, by the way, is because when I took Old Testament in seminary, it was on a content uh, exam that I had to take. <laughs> so, And we knew it was going to be on there. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a clue who he was, who she was either. Apparently, she wasn't as good as Sarah because we didn't hear much about her. Um, but what Scripture is for is not to study, yeah, it's always helpful to learn more about how things work and how they're put together and what words, certain words mean. I mean, that's always a beneficial thing to do, but that's not the point. The real point of Scripture is to take part of it and have the Lord speak to you. You see, it doesn't make any difference if all you know about Scripture is what happened a couple thousand years ago or 4,000 years ago. What makes a difference with Scripture is what is the Lord saying to me today? And one of the ways that the Lord speaks to us is through Scripture. If you really want to you know, do real you know, Bible preparation daily, 
Um, these little devotionals they have day by day, um, upper room. Well, they usually have a scripture verse or two, never more than a paragraph that's in there. Take that and make it your theme for the day. Lord, what are you saying to me in that? Or you can do it yourself. Just open the Bible and look at it and say, what difference does all this stuff make? I mean, what, what are you trying to tell me in the midst of it? And read Scripture not to study it or to pass a test or to be smart. Read Scripture to encounter the living Jesus. Now, one of the things that happens if we do that is we discover a part of the dynamic of the resurrected life that Cleopas and his friend were already discovering is that things have changed because now we have a God who walks with us and talks with us. You know, I would guess if I asked most people, you know, how often do you, if I just picked somebody randomly out here and got, didn't get the one person who actually is a biblical scholar, um, I would say, well, how much of the Bible do you, have you read and how much are you reading? Most people I found say, I tried that, but I really don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, the point of it being there isn't to make sense to you. The point of it being there is for God to speak to you and, and, and be with you through it. You know, it's not like you've got to put it all together in some sort of rational framework. The point of Scripture is for God to be with you in the moment, dealing with your life and with the things that you do. And the amazing thing is that when we begin to approach Scripture that way, what we find is our hearts burn within us because we get confirmation. Wow. He really is a living God. He really is like He really here. He really does care. You know, that's amazing. No wonder their hearts burn with they they'd never experienced Scripture in that way. For them, Scripture had always been about rules and about stories about people. But it had never been about a God who would walk with them and talk with them. When was the last time God walked and talked with people before Jesus? in the Garden of Eden. That's the good news, is that he'll walk with us and talk with us, and we are not alone. But lest we get carried away with that and think, oh, well, we've got Jesus. And some people think that way. We have to remember that if we don't serve him, he's going to keep walking on. That doesn't mean he's deserting us. It just means he has his own purpose. You know, we serve His purpose, not the other way around. We are there to do His bidding, not the other way around. Believe it or not, everybody hold on to their seats, God is not sitting around waiting for you to have a need for Him to fill. If you're a kid, believe it or not, your parents have not been sitting around waiting for you to have a need for them to fill. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. We all wish it would, but it's not true. That's la-la land. And so their hearts strangely burned as he spoke to them, not only in person, but in the scriptures. They still didn't know who he was, though. They just knew that there was something transformational about this experience. And it wasn't until he broke the bread that their eyes were opened. That should tell us something about how important it is to be in church on Sunday in the breaking of bread. You know, it's not important for you to come to church because I'm brilliant and you'll be totally lost without me. It is important that you see the risen Lord when the bread is broken. 
because we don't just encounter the Lord through the reading of Scripture. We also encounter Him in the sacrament. That's why when in the exhortation that we do during Lent, it says, you know, do not, if you, do not eat and drink of the Lord's body and blood improperly, not recognizing His body. When the risen Lord becomes present, don't just take and go, oh, bread, or mm, fish food. It's Jesus there with us, Emmanuel. So the resurrected life is one that, that reads the Scriptures not for study purposes or, in, or intellectual purposes, but reads them for sacramental purposes, to, to hear from the living God that, that walks and talks with us. The, the, the sacrament of communion is not just about something you're supposed to go do because you're in trouble if you don't. It's about the opportunity to see the risen Lord in our midst so that we can serve Him. Because if you notice, what happened once they'd done that? <laughs> He's gone. Why? Why do you suppose He left right then? Chuckling all the way, I suspect. Oh, he had done what he came to do. See, where were the disciples? They'd heard the stories. The tomb was empty. You know, there were a bunch of women and early in the morning, you know, they had too much wine the night before. Now they're seeing visions of angels who are talking to them. I mean, but we had hoped he'd been the one to redeem Israel. But now it's different. Now they know because they see. I have to tell you a funny story. You all have heard me talk about my parking spaces often. Well, last night after the concert... Um, I got a ride with uh, Ellen and, and Kathy uh, Seitz over to um, the restaurant, BJ's. And um, as we were going there, um, Kathy says, well, look there. There's a parking place right near the door where God called us. <laughs> now, now, the funny part about that is I wasn't thinking about it whatsoever. As I tell people, I don't usually ask the Lord which way to turn when I'm not driving because it could get bad if I grab the wheel and start moving. <laughs> but it worked, didn't it? It was right there. Why? I don't know. Maybe because she was tuned in and heard. Now we could say, oh, that's just coincidence. How many times does that have to happen to you before it's not coincidence anymore? I want to know. Because this happened to me hundreds, if not thousands of times. And I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I believe that if we listen with our hearts, the Lord still walks with us and talks with us. If we listen with our hearts and agree to serve, it will change our lives forever. And that's the next step of the Easter, the resurrected life. What did they do after he disappeared? Immediately. Now imagine that. They walked for two hours to their home in Emmaus. It's now dark. It's not safe to walk at night. I mean, even if there's a moon out so you can actually see the road that you're walking on, that's when all the bandits are out. Two guys by themselves walk for two hours all the way back to Jerusalem. Why? They had to tell them. You know, that, that was true. The women aren't drunk or nuts. It really happened. We met him. He was there. And 
and they go in and they tell them, we have seen the Lord. And the disciple says, and so have we. Christ is risen. Everything changes. Nothing is the same anymore. Because God now is walking with us and talking with us. We no longer have to guess why he made us. We no longer have to guess what it is we need to do. We no longer need to figure it out for ourselves or pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. What we really need is to walk with him and to do those things he gives us to do and to say those things he gives us to say. Because in that, our life now has meaning. We are not here by accident. We're not here to struggle through a number of years until such time as we can finally, um, you know, die or retire and then die or whatever. I mean, we God put us here because He had a plan. He wants you to do something. If nothing else, we should teach every one of our kids, you are not here by accident. God wanted you here. Your job at the moment is to figure out what He wants you to do. Why did He bother to create you? So figure that out, spend time with Him, and then do that. And you know what's amazing is if we would all do that, we wouldn't need, you know, you know, to be abusing substances like drugs and alcohol or sex or anything. We wouldn't need to be dependent in our relationships because we would be dependent on the Lord. Who would you rather be dependent on than the one who made you and knows why you're here? He's pretty likely to lead you to do the things he made you to do. If we're willing to live the resurrected life. And here's where the real hitch comes in this. For far too many of us, for far too long, we have turned the good news into bad news. If somebody walked up to you today and said, are you saved? What would your answer be? My answer is, from what? But <laughs> Check it out for or if you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven or not? See, all those questions offend me greatly. I, I intensely dislike them. Don't play mind games with me about the good news. Because I know what's underneath those mind games. What's underneath those mind games is that if you don't have what I'm about to give you, you are going to hell you know, you do not collect $200, you do not pass go, you are quick fried to a crackly crunch, you are bad, 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 bad. And we wonder why it is nobody wants to go to church? Sounds exciting to me. Now, if what we came up to somebody said, look, you don't know me from Adam, but I was just over at Chase Bank and they are giving away $100 bills to anybody who comes in today. Do you think the person would be offended? Well, Chase would be, but, <laughs> but I mean, if it was true, or, or if, if I said Jermaine Motors has decided to give away all their cars, would you tell anybody? That's the second time I've gotten that response today. I, he has a lot of cars. It's safe. But would you tell friends, relatives, people you care about? Would you be afraid you might offend them? Why not? They'd want to know, wouldn't they? 
What happened to the gospel? We've turned evangelism into a dirty word. We're no longer so excited about this incredible gift that we've gotten that, that we couldn't even help but go tell people about. I mean, you know, people need to know this. This is really good stuff. Well, we don't tell much of anybody, do we? And part of the problem, the reason why we don't tell anybody is because we've forgotten what the good news is because it's been so perverted by the carrot and stick approach. You want to go to heaven? I used to have people when I was in Point Pleasant, nobody's done that to me here, who would come and say, I'd say, well, why don't you come to church sometime? And, oh, if I walk in that church, Ruth would cave in. Or I even had one person I had a long conversation with, and she told me she couldn't go to church until she was ready to straighten up her life and do all the right things. And I said, wow. I said, if all my parishioners felt that way, I wouldn't have a congregation. I mean, <laughs> I mean who would be there? How would you ever pull that off? And she didn't feel worthy to be there. And how sad is that? And who taught her that? Who taught her that a God who would send his only son into the world to be tortured to death for someone is saying to a person who I thought was a very good person, I'm sure she had faults like everybody else, but I mean, she wasn't a serial murderer or anything like that that we knew of, that, that somehow or other she didn't feel like she could go because she wasn't good enough. I had one guy who was very poor who told me, I said, why don't I ever see you in church? One thing about small towns, you meet a lot of people. He said, I don't have a good suit. I said, well, Jesus didn't have one either. <laughs> so why don't you come to church anyway? He said, you don't have to wear a suit? I said, I don't have to wear a suit. I don't, I've never seen that anywhere in Scripture. Ever. Where is the good news? about not only eternal life after you die, but real life now. Where's the good news to tell people that God loves you so much that he wants to walk with you and talk with you, that he wants to show you why he created you, that he wants to help you to be able to be the best you can be. He wants you to be who you really are. And yeah, it's not perfect, but he's going to work on that. And if they say, well, you know, I don't know, I don't, those preachers and all, they get up there and say, well, don't listen to the preacher, then listen to Jesus. I mean, personally, I'd much rather you heard from Jesus while you're here than from me. You're much more likely to get a good message out of it. That's the good news, is that God loves us so much that he has counted every hair on your head. Now, for some of you, that's more than others, I admit. But, but he still counted every hair on your head. Today's Mother's Day. How many mothers here counted their babies' fingers and toes? How many of you counted every hair on their head? No? Well, so who do you think really loves you? <laughs> who wins, God or the mother? Mothers can't compete with that, can they? <laughs> it's kind of tough. That's how much he loves you, though. He knows everything about you. There's nothing that you can do that he doesn't already know about it. There's nothing you've already done that he isn't already aware of. He still died on a cross for you. And when we begin to realize that I have access to the one who created me, 
the sovereign king and creator of the universe, who knows why all this is here. And he will show me what it is that he wants me to do if I'll listen and follow. And my life will have served a purpose. And not only will it have served a purpose, but I will feel joy and peace and contentment because I followed him. Is that not good news? Is that not worth hearing? Is that really offensive to people? You know, I can imagine it's offensive to people to tell them you need to listen to Ron Baird. They ought to be offended. But it's not offensive to tell them the one who made you wants to show you why. And the way that we do that is not by pointing out what they did wrong. It's by pointing out what we did wrong. It's by pointing out that, hey, you couldn't be much more broken than me. I really messed things up and look what he's done with me. Hey, if he can do this with this... You're in like Flint, and you get it made. That's the good news, is that Jesus is Emmanuel, and he walks with us and talks with us. And there's only one thing standing between us and living the Easter life right now. And it has to do with whether or not we're going to stand in the road and be sad. Because the God that we got is not the God that we were hoping for. All too often, that's what we do. We didn't get what we were hoping for, and we forget what we really received. A God who loves so much, loves us so much, that he would die so that we might live. A God who loves us so much that he not only would count every hair on our head, but doesn't really want to spend a minute of eternity without us and wants us to be there. And he's not saying... You know, you get it right in income. He's saying, you come, follow me, and I'll help you get it right. That's good news for the world. It's not carrot and stick. It's joyful. It's meaningful. But we have a choice, don't we? As we're standing there, after our theological dispute, whichever one we happen to be fixated on at the moment, what will we do? When he says, what are you talking about? Oh. Or we had hoped. Or are you willing to follow the Lord and say, let me serve you? Because if you are willing to do that, if you're willing to take that step, if you're willing to, to have him speak to you through the scriptures and then the breaking of bread, if you're willing to live your life in and for him, then you too are going to be just as excited as Cleopas and his, and his you know, friend were. Uh, they had to go tell people about it. They had to tell them, it's true, it's true. And we hear the story in Acts. In Acts, you know, the, the apostles, it's later, but in Acts, the apostles were out preaching to the crowd and it said, and 3,000 were converted to Christ on that day. I don't know what I'd do if one of you all brought 3,000 people in. I mean, I, I would go, wow. Somebody's been talking to Jesus. Because I can guarantee you, they didn't convert 3,000 people on their own power. It was only through the message. They, the people there heard and saw Jesus. That's why they changed. You know, and if we brought 3,000 people in here, the fire marshal would come and probably shut us down. But, um, we'd have to build a tent out back or something. We can get 3,000 out there, can't we? 
That's the calling, is to share the good news. And so I want you to think this week about, one, do I want to be an Easter person? Do I want to live a resurrected life? Do I really want to be a Christian? Not just a Christ believer, but a Christ follower. And two, is there anybody I would like to have join me in that? Or do I want to spend eternity without them? If there are people you want to spend eternity without, we probably need to talk. Because the way that usually works is you don't get there, not them. But, but don't you have parents, children, brothers and sisters, friends, all kinds of people who you want to be able to spend eternity with them. You want to enjoy them. You want them to know why they're here. You want them to know the living Lord in the way that, that makes their life great and joyous. Because that's what evangelism is really about. The question is, is, will we share it or will we rather stand still looking very sad and think we had hoped? The choice is yours and mine. Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrews is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.